Praise God. Well, good morning, Grace Point. You may have a seat. Are you excited to be here this morning? I'm excited to be here this morning. Are you excited to be here this morning? Um, well, there's a little story behind this Bible, just so you know. I know it looks really big. I used to hear that the bigger the Bible was, the holier they, they were. But that's not true. I can guarantee that. The, re the reality is that the bigger the Bible is, the more blind you are, okay? <laughs> so um, this was actually really special. This is my preaching Bible because my, um, my future son had the idea of getting me this Bible for my birthday this past year. And together with my, with my children and some of my other spiritual sons and daughters, they got me this Bible. They, lo and behold, one of the scripture passages that we will be discussing today, they put it on this Bible and they did some artwork. So this is my preaching Bible that means a lot to me um, with really big words so that I can see. We're gonna read that in just a moment. But let's pray before we begin. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence in our lives. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that we have breath in our lungs this morning, and we pray. We pray that you speak to us. Father, we pray that you would open our ears that we may hear, that our minds would be focused and fixed on you so that we may receive, that our hearts would be open so that you may write your word on our hearts and they may never be forgotten. Lord, we give you this service. I give you my mouth. I give you my mind. I give you my thoughts. They're in submission to you. Holy Spirit, speak and let your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It's a stormy day. Thunderstorms have been rolling through the area for days but it didn't matter what the weather would look like. The event so many people were greatly and anxiously anticipating for was fast approaching. No lightning, no rain, no thunder was going to stop it. Thousands upon thousands of people were prepared no matter what was to come. Ponchos, jackets, hats, whatever they would have to weather through, they would be ready and willing for the great moments they thought would soon come to pass. By later that evening, the storms moved away, the sky began to clear, the sun, a bright yellow orange, began shining through the clouds just before its setting time. Parking lots full of thousands of cars and even many more people celebrating, cheering for what seemed like the greatest hope their team had ever had. Months of talking, months of training, months of building up this team that was surely to be like no other they've ever had. The people were filled with such excitement, such anticipation, such great expectation. As the people filed through the gates of the stadium, all you could see was a sea of people dressed in their team colors. The energy was like any other year. 55 years since they have won a Super Bowl. I probably just gave it away. You can hear and feel people's hope. It was high, it was thick, it was loud. Thousands of people chanting over and over the team's name and the name of the man. The one man the entire team had been built upon. It was contagious. 
You could not be there and not feel the energy that filled the entire atmosphere. All for these men. The stadium is full. Fireworks are ignited and the sky is filled with light. And as the fireworks explode, so does the multitude of people as they erupt in cheer, clapping, shouting for their team, and shouting for the man. The teams take their place, they begin to play, and only moments into the game, literally minutes into it, in just one short play, the quarterback tries to avoid a sack and he gets knocked down. He lays on the ground and grabs his legs. He is hurt. In just a few short moments, in what seemed like the blink of an eye, he's out of the game, completely gone. Not just for this game, but who knows? It could be the entire season. A wave of shock, a wave of disbelief swept through the arena as the people witnessed their hopes and dreams being carried off the field, not knowing what will be the fate of their beloved team. In who or in what is your hope placed upon? For some of you, including my dear husband, I apologize for making you relive the events of this past Monday night. <laughs> but I have to be honest, it's just such a perfect example of the things we as human place our hopes upon. We can place our hopes so often on fickle people, things that are temporary, that will never last, and even upon situations or events that all will at some point come to an end. So I ask you today, where is your hope? Is it upon a person? Is it upon a thing? Is it upon a house or one day owning a house? Is it upon your education, your training, your career? Is your hope set upon your goals and accomplishments? We as humans tend to place our hope on so many things, so many things that are temporary, that are finite, fragile, flawed, instead of placing our hope on him who is eternal, on him who is strong, unshakable, and perfect. We have been reading through the book of Romans, and some of you who have known me for a while, know this is one of my absolute favorite books. And we are now up to chapter eight, which is probably, not probably, it is my absolute favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Most people have a life verse, right? If you don't have one, I really encourage you to find a life verse for your life. I don't have a life verse, I have a life chapter. And it's this chapter, Romans 8. It's one of my favorite chapters because it is obviously filled with so much beautiful truth and such beautiful promises. But it's also one of my absolute favorite chapters because the Lord gave it to me at a time in my life when he was truly shaping me and molding me, revealing to me my identity. And not only did this chapter become a foundation of faith for my life, but the person whom God gave it to me through was a man that would become like my father one day. <clears throat> if we can put the picture up. Many of you knew my father-in-law, Pastor Carl. He's right there all the way to the right. But I know there are many new people and families who have only been a part of Grace Point in the recent years or maybe even months. 
But just before my husband became the lead pastor, almost six years ago now, it was his father that pastored this church. Dad was lead pastor here for 40 years, and we always want to remember. We want to remember him. We want to remember how he so humbly served the Lord and how he so humbly served this church. When I was 16 years old, long before he became my dad, he was my pastor. Our youth group was going on a missions trip, and at our last team meeting, as we were going to close in prayer, Pastor Carl asked the Lord to give him a verse for each teen on the, on, on the, tri- on the, on the team. <clears throat> we all lined up across the front of the old sanctuary where our children are right now with Pastor Stephanie, and he started going down the line, praying and speaking over each person, whatever verse the Lord placed on his heart. And when he got to me, he said, Sadie, and to you, I give you the whole chapter of Romans 8. I don't know if that was divine revelation. He knew I was going to be his daughter-in-law, but I'll take it. (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he began. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He prayed some more, and I'm not exactly sure all the verses that he spoke over me that night, but the ones I remember ever so clearly were the, one, the first and the last ones. He hugged me, he held me in his arms, and I remember the tears just flowing down my face as he said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as I wept in his arms, he continued to pray these verses as truth over my life. It was one of those moments that I will never forget because of the healing work that God was doing in my life at that time. You see, I was only 16 years old, one week shy of 17, but I was majorly struggling with believing that I was loved. Do we have any young people here? If you're a teen, if you're a young adult, can you raise your hand? Because this is, this is for you. This is for everybody, but this is especially for you. I dealt with a sense of self-loathing, feeling unlovable and like the grace and mercy extended to others were not for me. I felt ugly, unwanted, ashamed, and like I had no real value. But on that night, when those words of truth were spoken over me, It was one of those times where God made his presence so evident that I felt his love, I felt his mercy, I felt his grace like rivers of water washing away years of condemnation, guilt, and shame. Jesus was saying to me, Sadie, it doesn't matter where you come from or where you have been. It doesn't matter who your family is or who your family isn't. It doesn't matter your nationality, how much you have or how little you have. It doesn't matter who people say you are or who people say you are not. I want you to know that I define you. 
I say who you are, and I say that in me you are forgiven. I make all things new, and through me I'm, I am making you whole. It doesn't matter how much you loathe yourself. Know that I love you. Know that I love you and I'm calling you and I'm setting you apart. It was at that point in my life that I actually began to believe that the promises of God were truly also for me. That it wasn't for everyone else or only for those who came from good homes or from those whose home were not, wasn't broken but that he truly loved me and accepted me and wanted me, just me. Because the truth is that we can hear God at times. We can hear his truth and we can hear of his promises, but we don't really believe them for us. We believe them for others, but not for our lives. But on this night, there was a shift, something that changed me forever. It was the night I began to believe and grab hold of Christ's love and that he was truly for me and that absolutely nothing would be able to separate me from his love. What a great hope, amen? And so today, this is a message of hope, a message of a sure hope in who or in what do you find your hope? We are continuing in Romans, and this book may feel a bit like an emotional roller coaster. It seems like Paul starts off with good news and then bad news and then really bad news, and it kind of goes up and down, up and down. But like my husband previously shared in one of his sermons, unless we know the truth about the sinful state of our hearts, the punishment we deserve, and what exactly we are being saved from, we will never appreciate Christ, the work he's done for us, and what we have received only through him. Amen? So let's dive in. Lately, my husband has been asking to stand for the reading of the word, so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 24 through 30. Thank you, Jesus. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Last week, my husband shared about our suffering in these temporary bodies. We were created to live eternally with God, but due to sin, 
from the moment we take our first breath, we begin our journey towards death. We learn that creation was cursed along with all mankind due to the fall. Creation yearns for redemption, as does our souls, for it was subjected to futility, and it wants to be set free from its bondage and its corruption. Creation longs for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God to attain their freedom as well, to see the redemption of the people of God, because it knows that when that happens, creation too will be redeemed. Isn't that beautiful? That creation is alive and aware, longing to see your redemption and my redemption, which will be at the coming of Christ, when we shall be made whole, made new, just like Jesus. Do you ever feel, as you're going through life, that you were made for so much more? Like there's something broken, something missing, a longing that can't really seem to be satiated by the things of the world or the things we do or even the people in our lives. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in the world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Brothers and sisters, we indeed were made for greater things, for eternal things, and our souls are hungry, yearning for that which we were truly created for, but that sin stripped us of. But only for a moment. Why do I say for a moment? Some of us have been in seasons that just never seem to end. Just when you think it's over or close to an end, you get hit yet again and the season seems to start all over again. I know, we are with you. But the reality is that it is just for a moment, even though it may not feel like it to us. You see, the Bible says in James 4.14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, we could live a lifetime of misery, pain, and hardship. We could live 60, 70, 80, 90 years of nothing but hardship, and it would still be light and momentary compared to the glory, compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And herein lies our hope that the suffering, the pain, the decay of our mortal bodies, that death is not the end. There have been several times in my life when I feared death. Is it okay to be honest? Can I be honest this morning? <laughs> when I was younger, while I, wasn't, I didn't exactly fear death itself, I was afraid of just not living a full life. I was afraid that Jesus might come before I got married or had my first child. <laughs> I think that's normal for a lot of, a lot of young ladies. Then when I had children, I was afraid of passing while my children were still young and needed me. But not too long ago, I think for the first time in my life, I was actually afraid of dying. I was even afraid of how I could die. I had to pray to the Lord that he would remove this fear. And of course, the Lord was faithful to help me through these emotions. I realized that a lot of this fear was coming due to some anxiety and unresolved issues in my heart. 
Things like unforgiveness, anger, holding offenses, discontentment, entitlement, the list goes on. They can all contribute to a life of fear and anxiety. And so the first thing that God revealed to me was that there were things I had to let go of so that I can once again grab hold of my hope. This is why Romans 5.3 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. We will lose hope if in our hearts we hold on to things like unforgiveness, anger, offenses, discontentment, or if in our hearts we are disgruntled against God because we feel our suffering is too much or too long. Anybody with me? No, I'm the only one? <laughs> okay. Lord, I don't deserve this. Lord, this is too long. Lord, I deserve better. Um, no, you don't. <laughs> Did you come in for a good and feel good cheery sermon this morning? <laughs> well, while that is true, we do have hope. And we do have something to be cheered, up about, che cheered about. Because the truth is that while we don't deserve, while we do deserve God's punishment, while we do deserve God's wrath, Jesus came and he took our place so that we wouldn't have to. We all deserve God's wrath, but instead we have received life. Life through the spirit whom we have received because of God's great love. You and I deserve to be put to death, but because Jesus took our place, because he left heaven and put on a mortal body and did for us what we couldn't do, fulfill the law, and as a spotless lamb, he took upon himself the judgment that we were supposed to receive. Because he took the heat, because he became our propitiation and took the fire that should have consumed you and me upon himself, we now get to stand in the presence of God and in his righteousness. Amen? Is that something to be happy about? <laughs> and even though we in our bodies are suffering and decaying, the promise is that we will be redeemed. And this is our hope. So first and foremost, don't let any sin and don't let a disgruntled and angry heart, whether towards people or consciously or unconsciously towards God because of your suffering, come in the way of you and your hope. Keep your eyes on the promise. Amen? In just these seven verses that we just read, we find nine promises, nine that we need to grab hold of. If you're following with your note sheets, you can pull them out and fill out the blanks. Promise number one, the hope that we will be redeemed. The hope that we will be redeemed. This is the hope that saves us. 
We have this hope that we know will in fact be redeemed. It doesn't matter how broken, it doesn't matter how wounded, how flawed, how weak, or how sick we are physically or spiritually, the Lord has started the redemption process in our lives. And though the world may be headed towards death, we, my brothers and sisters, are headed towards life. We may be in the land of the dying. I know a lot of people call this the land of the living, but really we are in the land of the dying. (laughs) But our path, the path Christ has put us in, is leading us towards the land of the living. We will not see death, though our mortal bodies may die. We will never taste death. What a great promise that is. And as we wait for this promise, we can wait patiently for this promise. We endure the hardships and the suffering because of the hope that's in this promise. We can see it, though we can't see it, though we can't touch it, we know it deep in our hearts, deep in the very core of who we are. We know this to be true, and this This is faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is Hebrews 11.1. Promises 2 and 3. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and he intercedes and prays for us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and he intercedes and prays for us. Verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There are some really beautiful truths just in these two verses. First, it's the promise that Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember when Jesus was ascending to heaven, he promised his disciples that he would not leave them alone, but that a counselor, a helper would come. Are you grateful for a God that will not leave you alone? That he gives his very own spirit. More than that, his very own spirit actually dwells in you. He's not just around us. He's not just for us. He dwells within us. Please don't take for granted this amazing gift that I am not sure our minds could ever fully comprehend. Jesus has not left us here on this earth to navigate our lives, our pain, our suffering, our grief, our future on our own. The promised Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from death dwells in you and it dwells in me. If his spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, please tell me, What can you not overcome through his spirit? What sin, what weakness, what changes in our lives cannot take place? And his spirit, not only does he empower us and help us in our weakness, but he, because let's remember, Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a force. He is not something that's just pushing us along, he is a person, and this person intercedes for you and intercedes for me. May I just point out that there's a difference between praying and interceding? 
Prayer is communication with God. It's bringing our requests before him. It's expressing ourselves, our hearts, thanking him and praising him. And we can pray. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for others. But intercession, intercession is a little different. It goes deeper. When we intercede for someone, we intervene on their behalf. It is to act or to interpose on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble. It is to plead on their behalf. Is that not beautiful? The very Spirit of God, this person who is part of the Holy Trinity, this deity, he intervenes, he interposes, he pleads, and he doesn't just do this, but he does it with groanings too deep for words. When was the last time you intervened on someone's behalf with groanings too deep for words? Holy Spirit asks the Father just what you would ask if you knew what God wanted. He takes the longings, the grief in your heart along with the perfect will of God and he combines it into a request before the throne of God. You never have to be afraid Holy Spirit will pray and intercede for something that is not of God in your life. Because he who searches hearts, he knows what is the mind of the Spirit, and it is always according to the will of God. This is how much you are loved. What a beautiful promise that Holy Spirit is even now interceding on your behalf with groanings too deep for words. When you can't pray, when you don't have the words because you don't know how to pray, know the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf before the throne of God for your life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Promise number four. I get really excited with this one. All things work together for good. I think you all need to say it with me. Say it with me. All things work together for good. Okay, now please say it like you mean it. All things work together for good. Amen. I believe this to be one of the most hopeful promises we can find in the Word of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I honestly do not know of a scripture passage that can bring such comfort, especially in times of trouble, in times of pain, in times of suffering, during times when we experience sins committed against us. If we can grab hold of this promise, our perspective, our trajectory in life could be severely altered altered in amazing ways. If when we're going through a really hard time, through difficult situations, whether you find yourself without a home or displaced for a year and a half, whether you or a loved one has fallen ill or even harder, has passed from this life, whether a friend or a loved one has betrayed your trust and your love, if your spouse, your father, or your mother has abandoned you, if you lost your job because of budget cuts or because you wouldn't conform or submit to this worldly view, or your child has turned away from the truth you've raised them in and is walking in rebellion, 
whether you literally lose it all and have nowhere to go, it doesn't matter the situation or the circumstance, the promise, your promise, is that God will take every hard and every horrible, every negative or painful thing in your life and he will turn it for good. Let me say this again. He promises to turn it for good. I am fully convinced that the reason so many of us, myself included, walk around defeated and depressed is because we do not believe in this promise or because the hard times has made us lose sight of it. The promise right here, if we can grab hold of it and not let go, will change the way we see all of our hardship and suffering we would be able to trust God more. Does anyone here ever struggle to trust God? I'm the only one. <laughs> Guys, we could be totally vulnerable here because I will be the first one in line to tell you. When you lose your home, when sickness comes, when death comes, when your child rebels, when you lose your job, when you are betrayed or abandoned, can you trust God? You can and you will if you believe this promise that all these things work together for good. I don't know how, but only the God of all creation, only the God who loves us so much that he gave his very life, somehow he promises to turn these things for good in our lives. You may look at the situation and your mind may not be able to conceive how something so hard or so terrible can be turned to good. But I ask you, if the God of heaven can create something out of nothing, if the God of heaven can create the earth and fill it with trees and animals, if he can create the ocean and hold it in place and fill it with swarms of living creatures, if he can create the heavens and set the stars in place and hold them there, if the whole universe is held in place by his mighty hand, if he can form a man and a woman out of dust and give life to that which has no life, I ask you today, what can you not trust that, why can you not trust that he can turn your situation, that event, that heartbreak, that illness, that death, that pain, and that suffering for your good to a God that has no limit? Is he not strong enough to handle your situation and turn that into something that will be for your good? He will whether to build you up, whether to teach you, to grow you, make you stronger, wiser. Let me clear up a very important misunderstanding that we sometimes have. God is not interested in your happiness. God is not interested in your happiness. But what he is interested in is in making you into his image, in making you like him, in building you up and making you into the man or woman he has created you to be. Let me say that again. He cares about making you into the man or woman he has created you to be. There are only two. There's only man and there's woman. Don't let the enemy fool you, deceive you, or lie to you. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. So we refute, 
we reject the messages and the lies of this world and we will only accept the truth that we find in the word of God. And his truth is that you have been made either a man or a woman. A man or a woman made in his image. Amen? And his priority is to make you into his image and fulfill the purposes that he has before time written for you. And so he promises that he will make all things work together for good in your life because you are loved by him and are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Do you love him above all things? Because this promise, that's amazing. This promise is for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My son and I were in the car one day and this scripture passage came up. And he said to me, Mom, how could it be how could, it, how could God turn some events that have happened in this world into good? And this is a misconception that I really need to clear up. This promise is not for the world. This promise is only for the sons and daughters of God. You may be going through a situation and someone in the world that doesn't belong to God may be going through the same situation, but you will see the promise of God, of God fulfilled in your life because you love him and you are called according to his purpose. So this promise is only for those who belong to him. So now I ask you, do you belong to him? I hope so. Because this promise then is for you. Promises five and six, you are foreknown and predestined. You are foreknown and predestined. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You are known by God and you are predestined. The one and only God of the universe, he knows your name. He knows who you are. Isn't that amazing? Just stop and just think about it for a moment. Sometimes we hear the word of God and we just like hear it flippantly. The God of the, new, of the universe, he knows your name. Not only does he know you now, but it says that he foreknew you before the foundations of the earth, before this land and the heavens were made, before any plant or animal rose up from the earth, before the stars were placed and the universe was set in motion, Christ knew you. All to be known by the magnificent and omnipotent God before any of yourselves even existed and were knit together. Before you were ever a thought by any human mind, the mind of God knew you. Have you ever felt invisible? I shared earlier that when I was younger, I struggled with self-loathing, doubting that my life held any value, feeling unlovable. To be completely honest, I felt invisible and rejected. 
the absence of my biological father in my life, having moved around a lot when I was little, causing me to not have many friends, I often felt alone. Perfect example of all things working together for good. When I had to move yet again, I moved up here to Rockland from the Bronx. Whoop, whoop, where my people at? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Comes out every now and then. <laughs> another move, another loss, another change. Little did I know that I would make lifelong relationships in this place. That I would find a church where I would grow and be discipled. That I would meet my husband here and be called to ministry in one of the greatest churches I've ever been to. You may think I'm biased, but remember, I moved around a lot and visited a lot of churches, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but do you see how he turns all things for good? This God who has the absolute mightiest and greatest power, that God knows the name of the rejected, of the lonely and the lowly. I want you to know that if you're here today and you feel like no one knows you, you feel alone, you feel like you have nothing to offer, nothing to give, like you're weak and unimportant, well, you're in the right place. Because the truth is that's who we all were before we met Christ, whether we know it or not. But God says, I see you. I know you. In fact, I named you. That name your parents gave you, it was inspired by me. I know you and I have predestined you to be conformed to the image of my son so that you too can be my son and daughter. If you're an orphan in Christ, you no longer are. Christ is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. What does this promise mean to you? Not only does he know you and is making you like his son, but this means that you belong to his family. As we will learn in the weeks ahead, being a son or daughter of Christ is full of a multitude of even more promises. As if these promises weren't enough. Isn't that exciting? Are you going to be here next Sunday to hear it? You are known by God and predestined. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Again, here we see the foreknowledge of God as to your person. But then he also speaks to all the days that you will live. It says the days that were formed for me. Let me say that again. The days that God formed for me. Brothers and sisters, our days were written. They were formed, not without purpose, not randomly, but with destiny. Predestination is a word that for some can become a stumbling, a stumbling block. It makes some people question God's character and goodness. To others, it offers the ultimate comfort and security that our salvation is sealed, that it is written, and that no devil, power, or force, not even we have the power to change it. We will discuss this more next week, but I will leave you with this. Does it not give you an overwhelmingly amount of joy and peace that that which God has established, his plan for salvation, the rescuing from your sin that you couldn't get out of, 
peace that the law you could not fulfill, but that Christ in the flesh fulfilled for you, and that the punishment and wrath that should have killed you, he bore upon himself so that you may live. Is it so hard to believe that the God who did all these things is not able to give you a destiny as great as the one he has promised? What kind of God do you serve today? Do you serve a weak, nothing God, or do you serve a God that holds this universe together? I don't know about you, but the God that I serve holds all things together. All things were created for him and by him, and he holds them together. And I have the faith to believe that he holds my life together. And if you don't have it for yourself, I have faith for you that he holds your life together. Praise you, Jesus. Is the God who is capable of all the things we have just shared not perfectly just? Do you doubt his justice so much that you can't believe in the destiny that he holds for those who are his? Keep in mind that God's work is not done. This is for those who really have a hard time with predestination or don't fully understand it. Until a person takes their last breath or the coming of Jesus takes place, you have absolutely no idea what God's plan is for that person. And it may be a person that you truly love. Predestination is not a matter of power and ability in my opinion, but most of the time, it's a matter of trust in the character of God. And can you trust that God is sovereign and he knows what he is doing? You are known and predestined, amen? Promise number seven, you are called. And those whom he predestined, he also called. You are called. Called to what? A lot of people define the call as an invitation. But to call, the word here is kaleo. When used in connection with divine human experience, it means to summon. A calling from God is a divine summons. Think of it as being summoned to stand before a king. It is an invitation in a sense, but there's no way out of it. God has given you a divine invitation, and he is not taking it back. He has a purpose for your life. When the Lord calls you, he intervenes in your affairs and reveals truth to you. Just like it happened to Saul, the man who was persecuting and killing the disciples of Christ, the Lord summoned Saul. It was an invitation that he could not refuse. Not that anybody would want to refuse the call of God, but just in case, once God's glory and truth is revealed to him, he could not but yield and obey. 
He was called and was given a new name. He was given a new identity. He was given a new life, new direction, new purpose. And so it is with us. We have been called. We have been given a new name. We have been given a new identity, a new life, a new direction, and a new purpose. Amen? Man, I don't know why you guys are more excited and excited about that, but I'll be excited for you. We have been given a new name. We have been given a new identity. We have been given a new purpose, a new life. Praise God, because we deserve death, and where we were headed was not a good place, but he rescued us, and he made all things new for us. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Are you grateful today for the call of God in your life? Promise number eight, you are justified. I love this word. And those whom he called, he also justified. Oh, as if it couldn't get any better, it still does. That's the beauty and the depth of God's love, his plan and purposes. Here we see the next two promises. If you notice, they are written to us in past tense. To a God who exists outside of time, the Lord sees us not as we are now, but he sees us through the finished work of Christ in our lives, already complete in him. To stand before God in his holy presence, remember in the days of old, before Christ, before Christ came, no one could stand before God's presence, lest they died. That's right. When the presence of the Holy One descended upon the mountain, the people of God would tremble in fear. They would remain in their tents. They would hide, not even dare to come near, because anyone who would see God would die. But the fact that we get to stand in his presence today, that his very presence dwells within us, and we get to live, this is the most beautiful and greatest of mysteries we will ever experience. The holy God no one could ever see now dwells within us. We stand in his presence and in his eyes we are justified. My husband loves saying this just as if we had never sinned. We are clean. We are pure. We are holy. It is why Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are justified. Promise number nine, you are glorified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Again, past tense because God sees us complete in him. We have not yet passed from this life to the next, to the eternal, but this is yet another piece of evidence in the destiny that awaits us. These mortal decaying bodies is not our end. The corpse that lays in the ground becoming dust is not our final destination. Our final destination will be when Christ returns and he raises us up, we will be given a glorified body like that of Christ. Oh, there is no good thing the Lord has withheld for those he loves. 
He speaks it in past tense because it is already done. It's something you can be sure of. Amen? Are you sure of your promises today? Do any of you know or have a person in your life where you ask them to do something and it's like it's already done? If there's something you need, you just ask and you don't have to worry. It will get done and it will come to pass. There are a couple of people like this in my life. One of those people for me is Pastor Maddie. I'm going to give a shout out today. <laughs> whoop, whoop, Pastor Maddie. Continually, every time I need help with something or need something done and ask her for help, she'll often say, don't worry about it, consider it done. It's not done that very moment, but it's as if it were. I don't need to worry. I know that when I walk into the office the next day, I will find done what I've asked help with, and so often it exceeds what I have asked for. Well, in, in a far, far greater way, though we are now not fully complete, it is done. The finished work of Christ is complete because God says, I've got this. I did what you could not do. In place of damnation, we have received redemption. In place of weakness, we have received strength. In place of separation from God, we have received his very spirit, and our bodies have become the temple in which he dwells. We are united with Christ. We have been given all the the greatest promise that all things, the pain, the suffering, the things intended for evil, for our destruction, will be turned by God's power and sovereignty for our good in our lives. You're not an accident. You're not here by chance like a piece of driftwood floating with no direction. But you are foreknown by God, the God of the universe. And the days of your life were written for a purpose with a destiny. In place of rejection, you are called and you are set apart. In place of condemnation, you have received justification. And in place of decay, you have been given the promise of a raised and glorified body to eternally dwell in communion with God. This is our great hope. I don't know if you're hearing me today, but this is our great hope. This is our sure hope that no one can snatch, that no one can steal, that no one can strip from you because it is written. This is our hope today. I pray that these words of truth, these promises have encouraged you today and will allow you to humbly walk in the confidence of all Christ has done for you. Have you heard the Lord speak today? Have you heard his promises today? We can't walk out of these doors and we can't face the world if we don't have the weapon that fights the lies and fights the world view that we are facing today. I think for a while the church has been in slumber. I think for a while the church has been asleep. And while these hard times, these past years have been filled 
with really hard times across the board for so many. I believe that's God's grace and mercy waking us up. I believe the Lord is shifting things. I believe the Lord is separating the goats from the sheep. I don't know if you know what that means. Google it, look it up. Because the problem, the reason why the church is asleep and why the church oftentimes seems so weak, the reason why the church is not standing up for truth and is being consumed with lies is because we do not know what's in here. Brothers and sisters, God did not give us. You know, it says in John, the word became flesh. What does that mean? That Jesus himself is the word and the word became flesh. God, the very word of God became flesh, came on earth through Jesus, the person, and we have been given this word but we don't know what's in here. And because we don't know what's in here, we are easily deceived. We are weak. When a battle comes, we cannot stand and we cannot fight because we don't know what's written in here. And I believe God is saying, Jesus is saying, I gave my life for you. I was nailed to the cross so that you could be saved, so that you would know my word, so that you would know me, and so that my word would be written on the tablets of your heart. So my challenge to you this morning, know the word of God. Know the truth that's in here so that the lies of the world cannot deceive you. Know the promises that have been given to you so that you can walk in confidence and in victory. Do you want to walk around defeated? Do you want to walk around defeated? Then pick up your weapon. Pick up the word of God. Eat this word. Sleep on it. Whatever you need to do, hear it. There's a wonderful app called Dwell where you can just hear the word of God. Let these words enter your mind and your heart. Be transformed and renewed. And then you will be able to walk out of these doors. And you wouldn't be weak and you wouldn't be sleeping. But as we will read next week, you will be more than a conqueror. You will walk victoriously. You will walk with power and authority and no lie or deceit of the enemy will come over you. That's the promise. These are the promises you have. But you won't know them unless you read them. So read them because they are great. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.